welcome. Join Dr. Muji, a psychology professor at the University in Ohio, and her daughter, Iyabode, a research scientist in California, on a journey of how to make the most of what life throws your way. We hope to make today's podcast as informative and lighthearted as possible. So sit back and join us on this adventure. As a bit of a disclaimer, this episode and our future episodes are not meant to be a substitute for therapy or professional care. All right, mom. So how is life? How are things? Things are going well, in spite of all that is going on in the country and in the world as of now. Um, I've been trying to keep busy. Uh, As you know, I'm teaching summer classes and I'm having fun with my students. They are great students. And then doing other things like maybe exercising, walking in the park with my face covering. (laughs) And um, it's unfortunate that when you smile, nobody sees you smiling because you have your mouth covered. That is uh, very important. It's maybe from one's eyes. Those person you buy uh, would know that you're more or less either a thumbs up or at least um, acknowledging their presence. How is life with you? You know, things with me are going very well. I have to say that 2020 just continues to be full of surprises and it definitely will be a year for the history books for many reasons. But overall, I have my health, I have my family, I have my friends. And so I truly feel as if it could be much worse. Very beautiful. Same with me too. I have all the social support I need. And it's true that uh, 2020, I never expected it. It's very interesting, all the curveballs and all the challenges that um, people have faced as individuals and we as a nation and even the whole world. I believe gratitude is what matters. We have to be thankful for little things and just appreciate being alive, having loved ones and things like that. Definitely. And also another exciting update and important to mention is that we've started an IG page for the podcast. It's Catching Curveballs Podcast on Instagram. And I think both my mom and I genuinely feel as if IG becomes more of a job than anything. I actually feel as if we're very similar in that sense and that we feel that way across the board for all social media. However, for the podcast, it makes sense to have a chance to engage with all of you. And so we'd love to see your requests for future topics. We'd love to see some of your experiences, some of your comments and takeaways. And very importantly, we'll be releasing the upcoming topic. We've classed it as being on deck. Yes, another baseball pun, but we've classed it as being on deck so that you can then decide whether you'll check it out for the next week or maybe you'll pass. I'm just kidding. Please always listen. We appreciate your listenership. And so with that in mind, today we will be discussing positive psychology. It's interesting because I've only taken one positive psychology course in my entire life, so I'll be learning a lot along the way. However, hopefully maybe there's some tips or information that I somehow managed to remember and we'll be able to add to the conversation as we move forward. But regardless, at the end of the day, the goal is for our listeners as well as myself to better understand this subject matter and means of applying it, as well as being able to kind of use it to support the concept of 
catching those curveballs. As we've mentioned, as 2020 continues to throw many our way, it should hopefully be of help. So why don't we start with just kind of the basic definition of what exactly positive psychology is? I'd like to begin with some definitions. Um, Of course, there are as many definitions as there are people defining what positive psychology is. But I would like to share with our audience uh, a definition by Martin Seligman. Uh, Many consider him to be the proponent of modern positive psychology. And he defines positive psychology as the scientific study of positive human functioning and flourishing on multiple levels that include the biological, personal, relational, institutional, cultural, and global dimensions of life. Others consider positive psychology to be the scientific study of strengths that enable individuals and communities to thrive. In another vein, other proponents of the field start with the belief that it is what people want to lead meaningful and fulfilling lives, to cultivate what is best within themselves, and to enhance their experiences of not only love, but work and play. As you know, play is as important as work, and of course, love is also important. Other researchers uh, suggest that there are three major pillars of positive psychology, that it has three central concerns. It focuses on positive experiences, positive individual traits, and positive institutions. So the bottom line is that it is the understanding of positive emotions which entails the study of contentment, not only with the past, but happiness in the present and hope for the future. And thank you for that explanation. That was very detailed and informative. And it's so fascinating because in hearing positive psychology, it's a little bit of, I don't want to say it's confusing because it sounds straightforward, but there's so much more to it. I think for many people, they hear it and they think, well, is it this line of psychology in which it only embraces thinking positively or focusing only on the positive? And it's more of a case of truly understanding the fundamental elements that can help all of us understand, you know, positive experiences, positive individual traits, as well as institutions that can help hopefully cultivate and create a life that is very meaningful and fulfilling. And so it it can be interesting to learn more about the topic as a whole, because in hearing those two words, positive psychology, I have to say that you know, the mind typically wanders to something that perhaps is an oversimplification of a field that's actually far more rigorous and far more detailed and critically analyzes the aspects that constitute our well-being. I agree with you. Sometimes for some people, combining those two words together might seem strange because uh, many people associate psychology with abnormal psychology, psychology in terms of um, mental illness. Mm -hmm. And so you begin to wonder, 
combining the positive with psychology. However, this is a relatively new field compared to other fields of psychology like developmental, social psychology, clinical psychology, uh, but um, it's um, gathering um, interests, particularly as we said at the beginning of this podcast, that this is a time where there's uh, the need to begin to also focus on the positive and not just the negative. Right. And so why should we even care about positive psychology? Good question. Why should we care? Why should anyone care? Well, uh, positive psychology has broadened psychology's focus toward a more positive side of the person. And as I alluded to not long ago, uh, this has happened during the last decade or so. Proponents and uh, followers of Seligman, Martin Seligman, if you want to refer to those who are also uh, pushing for the advancement of the field, uh, point to five factors as leading to well-being. And these include positive emotion, engagement, relationships, meaning and purpose, and accomplishment. So the goal or the aim of positive psychology and why we should care is that it tries to attain two specific goals, overcoming and transforming the negatives and at the same time enhancing the positives by promoting meaning or virtue in order to reduce mental illness and to increase well-being. So the idea is that positive psychologists help their clients to face memories of past traumatic events, painful social experiences, or difficult family interactions, for instance. Others address concepts such as resilience, hope, optimism, flow, happiness, grit, and other such concepts. Typically, I've had students too that have worked with me on studies about hope relating to happiness and uh, relating to uh, flow. These are all interesting to the extent that, again, the whole idea is not to just focus on mental illness, to know that we can also address human potentialities. Of course, both are of importance and in as much as traditional psychology might emphasize more of the negative of human beings. Those five factors that you mentioned and referenced Marty Seligman in terms of aligning with what the acronym PERMA, P-E-R-M-A. I remembered at least those five letters from my positive psychology course, and you've already explained it, but just for the sake of re-emphasizing this to our listeners, because at the time that I first learned this concept and even heard the acronym being used, I have to say that, you know, I kind of just took it for granted, but even to this day, when there are situations or circumstances where I'm reflecting on my own well-being or reflecting on my own life as a whole, I do think back to it and I think back to evaluating, do I have those positive emotions, right, tied back to the P and the acronym? And what can I do to better increase those positive emotions and experiences? What is it in my life that perhaps isn't necessarily contributing to those 
um, positive emotions and how do I maneuver that so as to increase that aspect. And then also to the E is also important, right? The engagement, that sense of flow that you've mentioned and that some of your students have also worked with you and collaborated with you on further exploring. But those two are good starts and strong starts for me. The R also is highly relevant in terms of relationships and not just having relationships as a whole, but having positive and strong and healthy and good relationships at that. And then also having that sense of meaning and purpose and then accomplishment and achievement. All of these five are so important. And my understanding is that everyone's prioritization will look a bit different and can even change over the course of their life. However, they are fundamental to the overall well-being of a person. And even at that level, it kind of feeds into the overall well-being of institutions or even population at a whole. So there's a lot that ties back into those fundamental components that I think are very important and that I know that I can refer back to as I'm making my way through day-to-day existence, right? Of am I at my maximum and peak well-being? Is it truly a case where my positive emotions are present or at least my day-to-day is supporting experiencing those positive emotions? Is it a case where I feel as if I'm engaged in what I'm doing or how I'm spending a large chunk of my day or even chunks, plural, of my day? And what about my relationships? Are my relationships fulfilling? Are they gratifying? Are they healthy? And what can I potentially do to improve their health if the answer is no? And then, of course, meaning and purpose and achievement and accomplishment It's something that everyone's prioritization and ranking of these five will slightly differ. However, those carry equal value in our overall well-being and ability to feel as if we're thriving and doing well. So those components, they really did stick with me and they're concepts that I I think, long story short, I tend to apply and use even as I'm thinking through my day-to-day and what I want my tomorrow to look like or what I think I could even improve upon for the next day and the days to come. And so with that in mind, um, for the sake of our listeners, how can people incorporate positive psychology concepts into their own lives? Thank you for um, further elaborating on those karma factors, five factors. There are different ways that we can incorporate uh, positive psychology or positive psych-related concepts into our lives. And to that extent, we have what we call positive psychological interventions, also known as PPIs. And these interventions or strategies are actually theoretically grounded. They are empirically validated instructions. They could be activities and they could be recommendations. And all are designed to enhance well-being. So an example would be some positive psychology exercises. Uh, Some refer to them as PPEs. And some studies have shown that these exercises can actually increase happiness while decreasing depression. Some of the activities that even our audience can engage in will be, one, to think of positive early memories. This could be done every night for seven days. So we can set a time, about 10 minutes in a day, probably before going to bed, 
and you'd write down positive early memories. Other ways will be to think about three good things, that is, list three things that went well during the day for you as an individual and why. And for that exercise, you can do that for seven days. And then the third strategy or exercise known as signature strengths, in which the individual will try to identify some character strengths of theirs. Character strengths would include things like honesty, loyalty, perseverance, creativity, kindness, wisdom, courage, fairness. And the idea is to use some of these in new ways for at least seven days. So a commonality there is seven days, but it does not mean that you cannot engage in those activities longer than that. In fact, there are folks that make it a regular thing to write, to keep a gratitude journal. And every day before they go to bed, they might write down maybe three or five things that they are grateful for. And this has been shown to have positive effects on people's well-being. You know, that's an interesting strategy to take. And I think part of what's so appealing about it is that when you even think through what you remember at the end of the day or what you perhaps come home and vent to a family member about or vent to your friends about, you're venting or you're offloading about more than likely what hasn't gone well in your day. And so almost the wrap up or end of day activity entails your sharing what hasn't gone well. So you're then even going to bed after having discussed what hasn't gone well in your day, right? And you think of how common and how often it can end up being that you're doing that. But then if you are taking that moment to carve out, whether it's just a few minutes or as long as it takes to write down three things that went your way or setting aside 10 minutes to write down positive memories that you even have from earlier in your life, you're devoting a bit of time just to reflect on what went your way, what you enjoyed, what you appreciated of your day. And if you look, you have 24 hours out of the day and to devote just a few minutes to be able to acknowledge those things that's empowering to be able to reflect and appreciate and even almost have a replay of those positive experiences as you wrap up your day. I think I more than likely will actually start doing that and even consider a gratitude tracker or journal or something of the sort. Do you have a gratitude tracker or journal? I don't do it as frequently as I should. Uh, Because again, sometimes maybe at night, the one is already tired. You plan to do it before you go to bed and before you know it, it's morning time. So sometimes I actually do them in the morning and not necessarily before I go to bed, uh, before I start my day, if I forgot to write the three good things about the day before, I still try to recollect, for instance, or even begin to think about the upcoming day and uh, what I hope to accomplish and, uh, you know, to already begin to manifest Mm -hmm. some positive things. So the emphasis again is that we shouldn't ruminate on negative things. Rather, emphasis should be on the good things. And some of this or all of this are all dependent on the individual. Uh, Another person might want to emphasize having good health. 
another person who has no problems with health per se might want to emphasize maybe relationship that went well or give gratitude to uh, a divine being for having let him or her live another day because it's not easy. You go out to work or you go out and then you're back home safe and sound. If we follow the news uh, cycle and what's said, we hear about deaths, deaths, deaths. But if uh, one can be grateful that, well, one is alive and kicking, that also helps. So yes, I try to do uh, at least once a day, but it doesn't have to be uh, before I go to bed. Sometimes it will be when I wake up in the morning. I like that too, right? The first thoughts in your mind are those that are more positively geared and are those that are practically a review of what's going well. So I love that idea too. And I think it just goes back to the fact that it doesn't matter when you do it. Granted, I know your recommendations and the exercises skewed more to be kind of at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. likely when it's fresh in your memory or you're able to think back to it. But regardless, just taking that time to devote to yourself and your well-being to be able to reflect on what has gone well and what you have appreciated about the day's events. And, you know, more than likely, too, I have a feeling that there's so much that we forget or that we have overshadowed by those events that haven't necessarily gone our way or haven't gone in the direction we would have imagined they would gone in. And we then focus on that and fixate on that. So just taking that chance to shift your thoughts and shift what you focus on likely will have some sort of positive addition to your day. Well stated because human nature is that we focus more on negative things, things that didn't go well. So many times you have to make concerted effort in spite of how your day might have gone, to still look for things that one appreciates. And then again, it's just a suggestion about three things. Sometimes you might want to go more than that. The idea of the three things is that each day you try to look for different things. So you're not repeating the same thing, you know, every night or every morning. Right. Have you done any of the quizzes for the signature strengths? Yes. Many years ago, I did. I can't remember now how I performed because I remember that there were three top character strengths. But I have to think deep now to know what those three were. And they are online. They are things that folks can Google I believe if they go to even Martin Seligman's website at the University of Pennsylvania, there would be the quiz there. You know, I would like to assign a few I believe you strongly exhibit and have exhibited through all of my life. So let's see here. What could possibly be the first? I think definitely honesty, definitely loyalty. You also mentioned, what was it? Perseverance. Absolutely. Absolutely kindness. Absolutely wisdom. What were the others? All of them. I nominate (laughs) all of them. You know, you are assessing me. So the strengths or the virtues you pick might be different from the ones that I might select for myself or based on the quiz. So there's the one of self versus other. Same with you. I could pick kindness for you. I could pick persistence, determination. And when you are doing the test or assessing yourself, you could pick some other character strengths, virtues, or traits. I see. Interesting. You know, maybe for the next episode, we 
maybe we'll do a refresher, right? right. Where we both yeah. take it and then okay. we'll reveal our results here. And then the other person can share how much they agree or disagree or perhaps have follow-up questions. So then with all of this in mind, what arguments or justifications against positive psychology are there? For positive psychology, maybe I'm a bit biased because of my training and interest. More is positive about positive psychology, but some folks have argued that the field and researchers in the field are not able to show empirical evidence regarding some of the concepts and how it could vary from individual to individual, and that could be a problem. So something like flourishing of life. It's like, what is that, you know, for you, for me, for others? Could that be uh, contextual? Could that be associated with one's culture, for instance? What would be a flourishing life in an individualistic culture vis-a-vis a collectivist or more collectivist culture? So to that extent, the field has been critiqued. Another argument against the field is that it emphasizes strengths to the exclusion of weaknesses and problems, that it emphasizes virtues of human beings and doesn't say much about weaknesses. But from my own point of view, I think this is not necessarily the case. The whole idea for positive psychologists is that they're calling the attention to the fact that psychology of the past that emphasizes things that go wrong about negative psychology in quotes. So the idea is that we also should think about the positive, but they're not looking at it to the exclusion of addressing what ails us as human beings, what our challenges are. It's a field that actually balances and looks at both positive and quote, what we might consider to be the negative, talking about depression, other mental illnesses or mental challenges and such. So those are two that I could easily see as arguments by some faults against the field of positive psychology. I can see how it would be challenging for some to accept this kind of standardized definition of flourishing or thriving or even a certain state of well-being. And as you've already pointed out, there are some variations culturally as well as even individualistically. And even just based on the time of day, there could be variation as to how someone defines their own well-being or would define how they feel they're flourishing or thriving. I also feel like it was very helpful though earlier you had explained how positive psychology itself attempts to achieve two goals. So going back to that balance idea where it's overcoming the negatives while also enhancing the positives. So it's almost this scale, right, in which you're attempting to achieve a full balance of how do you maximize the positive while still processing and being able to overcome the negative. So you're not discarding one or the other or only fixating on one. You're just attempting to achieve some sort of balance, which it sounds so healthy to me. But it goes back to my issue with the name, or at least my questions with the name itself, and that you can't help but naturally, instinctively think that it's a focus on just the positive. It's a focus on just what's working well. So having this better understanding, it makes a lot more sense. And I think it likely also is the same issue or struggle that others who might object 
the concept and that they're just hearing those words. They aren't fully grasping the different elements and constructs to that term or the field itself. And so then how do people support others or even encourage others to come along, especially as it pertains to personal and professional even relationships? Well, I do not think that it is or will be difficult to do. We do not have to be positive psychologists to use positive psychology interventions, PPIs, or encourage others to use such interventions in our homes, with our friends, at our workplaces, in our schools, and in other contexts. As you know, knowledge is power. Correct knowledge is power. (laughs) Accurate knowledge is power. Knowing about these interventions, knowing of their effectiveness will help. Research has shown that these interventions contribute to many positive outcomes. They improve physical and psychological well-being, for instance. They increase self-esteem, optimism, hope, resilience. They decrease depressive symptoms and maladaptive perfectionism, according to some researchers. That is very interesting. And what's also been fascinating for me has been learning about the relationship between some of the positive psychology interventions and even positive psychology aspects, as well as physical health. Even a 2012 review reported that optimism and vitality are associated with a reduced risk of cardiovascular events. And there have actually been additional studies since that time point that have been published that do support this relationship. And that's even when there's been an adjustment for socioeconomic factors when age, sex, race, ethnicity um, have been adjusted for, as well as even psychological diagnoses. When all of that has been accounted for, there still remains this relationship between optimism, as well as some of the positive psychology concepts with cardiovascular health, which is empowering, right? And that there even extends this relationship and not just our wanting to feel well, but to physically be in good heart health. And so now let's kind of take it a bit in a different direction to understand your journey with positive psychology specifically. So how did you even stumble upon this field? How did you really come to even learn about it? Um, My background in community psychology has helped because uh, community psychology emphasizes prevention of psychosocial problems and promotion of physical and mental health at the individual group, community levels. Its emphasis on both challenges and strengths and such have more or less tied up to and therefore um, these goals somewhat align with those of positive psychology, because positive psychology too emphasizes strengths, assets, and things like that. So it was just as natural as one would expect if from time I wasn't into the clinical psych arena because I wasn't necessarily uh, attracted to um, about treatment of mental illness, mental disorders, mental challenges, I was more interested in, and I'm still more interested in, promotion, prevention of mental illnesses and promotion of mental health. So in a sense, they are more or less trying to accomplish similar goals 
And uh, in as much as uh, some community psychologists could emphasize addressing problems of a community, some of us are interested in looking at assets of the community that would help the community members and stakeholders overcome whatever challenges the community does have. So even with the situation of police interaction with community members and things like that, as a community psychologist, you will be thinking about and helping in terms of better understanding of community members, looking at the assets of individuals that make the community and then the community as a whole services that are available to them and encouraging access to such resources and services. And so how would you say it's shaped your life? By it, do you mean positive psychology? Yes. Okay. Well, positive psychology has broadened my horizon or perspective such that I look at situations as glass half full instead of half empty. It has helped me to cope effectively with curveballs. So it um, has increased my resiliency to the extent that, again, you want to practice what you preach. If you've told others about how they can overcome challenges, then you have to be able to walk the talk. You know, when you are so well-informed and you're helping others understand how they can perhaps embrace some of these positive psychology concepts, it's only fair that you then do the same, even in handling incredibly tough and difficult situations. Indirectly, it's likely had a trickle effect and even me. So as your daughter, I can say definitely that, you know, this is something that I've always witnessed you kind of put forward in terms of truly embracing and looking at circumstances as the glass half full versus half empty. And you've been able to do so in such a way where you're not necessarily ignoring the fact that the glass isn't completely full. You're just, you know, appreciating and recognize what still is available in that same glass. And it's something that being able to see you do, from my perspective, I've been able to kind of use that same approach to also manage and navigate some of those situations. All right. And so what do you find toughest about positive psychology and even incorporating it into your life and your interactions with others? At this time, I would say that the fact that some individuals focus only on the positive, thus making the same mistake. So although in the opposite direction that traditional psychology makes, so where the focus is on the negative about human behavior and lived experiences, whereas, as I have alluded to earlier on in this podcast, both emphasis on the positive and negative of human experiences are important. It just depends on the context. It depends on the problem at hand and on other such considerations. And if that's, I suppose, the takeaway message, it's a strong one for our listeners in that. So you've received quite a few exercises and tools here where a lot of it was to take a look and review what has worked in your favor and what has gone well and some of the positive outtakes that you have from your day. However, as a whole and in life and even with positive psychology as a field, it's still important to handle both components. It's still important to be able to work through some of the negative experiences in our lives and recognize that they exist, they're possible, they're part of life, but then also appreciate those that are more positive. I know that for me at times, it can seem as if the negatives 
far outweigh the positive. So it's more a case of trying to tip that scale manually where you know fully well that the negatives seem quite extensive and the positives seem very few. However, being able to appreciate those positives and the fact that they still exist, it carries a lot of power and it impacts your well-being as a whole and is so important to be mindful of, whether it's that you are fully supportive and appreciative of the field of positive psychology, or perhaps if you still have some questions and reservations, what matters at the end of the day is that you can appreciate that it's important to acknowledge both aspects in your life and in life as a whole. So anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners or at least have them walk away from today's podcast with? For them to be able to consider aspects of positive psychology related to their own lived experiences, if they could also work towards increasing some of the concepts that were alluded to, like resilience, hope, optimism, their well-being in general, and knowing about the field of positive psychology. I think that's one thing that I wanted folks to know about and to know that there are different ways that we can actually approach problems, including assessing ourselves and assessing our strengths and maximizing our strengths while minimizing our weaknesses. Wonderful. I know that I'll be bringing out my pen and paper to make my list of three things that went well today, and this will likely be one of them. So now I'll just have to think of two others, but this has been very enjoyable. So thank you for sharing all of this. And so my mom is an expert or a connoisseur of quotes. I don't know how she does it, but she has a catalog and can even cite just off the top of her head all these very powerful and moving quotes. And for anyone who's ever received an email from her or has seen her email signature, she'll always have this blurb that'll be some inspirational quote. And it's usually very helpful. And sometimes in life, just seeing and hearing those reminders, they make a difference for our day or even for our mood for that moment. And so we really want to have a portion of our episode, or at least for each episode, devote that to hearing a quote from her. And so with that said, mom, do you have a quote for us for today? Thank you for your kind words, my daughter. It's true that I love quotes. I have files and files on my computer, even on pieces of paper. I write quotes. When I see quotes, these are not my quotes, actually. They are quotes that touch me in a special way and that I, um, as you said, even emails at the end, even my syllabi, it always begins with quotes, quotes that will be relevant to the class, to the course I'm about to teach and things like that. Anyway, today I want to share one of my favorites by M. Schmitz. You cannot do everything, but you can do something. Do what you can and you will find that hope has become a powerful force in your life. So that's all for now. Thank you for spending time with us. Yes, we want to hear from you. Give us feedback on what you heard today and suggestions for topics you would like us to discuss in future episodes. You can email us at catchingcurveballs at gmail.com. That's catchingcurveballs at gmail.com, all one word. And also, you can now follow us on Instagram at Catching Curveballs Podcast. That's Catching Curveballs Podcast. Be sure to share your thoughts here. If it's easier, then email and keep an eye out for upcoming episode topics. We cannot wait to connect with you soon. 